challenge for managers to sort of maintain that sense of togetherness, that spirit, the camaraderie, the exchange of ideas using Slack or whatever, even no matter how good of tools you have. I don't think there's any substitute for that. I've thought this for a long time. What a disservice we do when we take salespeople and they've never been around other salespeople, especially really good salespeople. And they've not been around people that have really good language and the depth of understanding to have really powerful client conversations. And we put them at home by themselves. I've always been concerned about that because one of the things that allows a salesperson to get better faster is just being around other really good salespeople and listening to them have client conversation. Hi, friends. Welcome to Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Anthony Iannarino. Anthony's the author of multiple best-selling sales books, and he's one of the best sales thinkers I know. He's a prolific blogger, and you'll make sure you check out his blog at thesalesblog.com. And Anthony's joining me on today's Sales Enablement, episode 768, to talk about a number of important topics, including what the next normal for sellers will look like and how to prepare for it. We're also going to dig into what it means to sell with a purpose and why that is so very relevant for today and the situation we all find ourselves in. And lastly, we're going to talk about some radical steps we could take to dramatically improve sales managers' sales management performance. Now, before we get to Anthony, I'll let you know that the whole team of people who work to produce this podcast are incredibly grateful for all of you who support us by listening to the show, telling your friends, sharing it on social media, and most importantly, subscribing to the show and giving us your feedback in the form of a rating and a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Anthony, welcome back to the show. It's good to be back. How many times have I been on? I'm thinking you're probably five, at least. It's got to be four or five by now. Yeah. So like Saturday Night Live, if you get like five, you get a blazer or something, we'll send you one. (laughs) I'll take a blazer. That sounds nice. (laughs) The sales enablement blazer. Of course, it has to have my name emblazoned all over it, but yeah. (laughs) Can you put it on the inside? (laughs) No, it's it's on the back. It's like a back tattoo. (laughs) Yeah. So where are you uh, sheltering in place? I am sheltering at home in Westerville, Ohio, and have been for maybe 60-ish days. Yeah, I counted. It's uh, seven weeks for us, yeah, here in in New York City. Seven weeks. It's a long time. Yeah, I've lost track of much of the time. (laughs) And as well, partially, you and I started talking about this before we started recording this. I don't know about you, we're working all the time. Right. Well, we can now. I mean, the technology allows us to do things that would have been difficult in the past, and they're not all that difficult to do now. So that that we have going for us is that the technology allows us to continue to connect with people like this or over video. It's, a, it's just much better. My yeah, father, was- who's 76, FaceTimes me every night now. Um, nice. Because he's bored out of his mind and uh, is isolated. <laughs> Right. I've I've watched everything I can on Netflix. Be my entertainment. <laughs> so, well, let's talk about something sort of following up on that theme is, is uh, you wrote recently that it's time to get back to work. So, yeah. what did you mean by that? Well, I, I think that if you work in sales and if you believe that in good times, your job is to go out and help people get better results then you have to believe that in bad times, 
you have a duty and a responsibility and an obligation and a charge to keep that says, if, if I can help you when times are good, then I have to be even more valuable in times that are turbulent and where there's an economic crisis and a global pandemic. And I, I think it's time for us to go back and lead. And I know that the economy is going to tank uh, beyond anything we've ever seen, um, probably in the history of humanity in Q2. But it doesn't have to be worse than it's going to be because we sit on the sidelines and decide, well, I don't want to bother people right now. I know they're really anxious. I know that they're fearful. And I continue to try to make a point about the difference between empathy and compassion. Mm -hmm. Empathy means, you know, I've walked a mile in your shoes and I understand what you feel like. But compassion is recognizing that your shoes are three sizes too small and then getting you a pair of shoes that actually fit. So the difference between empathy and compassion in my mind is one of them is theoretical and the other is action oriented. And right now it's time for salespeople. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that sales is the engine and that the other parts of a company don't matter and all that other stuff. But we do tend to be on the beginning edge of economic activity for the companies that we work for. And we help improve the economics of the companies that hire us and buy from us. So if we want to do our part, for me, I think the charge for us to keep is to work on the economy. So we've got healthcare workers, you know, including mm-hmm. uh, family members from you that are on the front line of the virus part. We're not qualified, nor do we understand what we could even do to make a contribution in that world. But on the second front, the economic front, that's where we live already. I mean, that's where we can go and make a difference. And that's what people should be thinking about is, how do I go help my clients turn their business around and recover? Because the only way your business is going to recover if you help your clients recover their business. That's just the order that it's always gone in. And it's time for us to get back to work and start doing that. Well, I think the thing that I, I really liked about that is, is for me, it, it triggered this idea of selling with a purpose, right? Sometimes you need a purpose. We all need a purpose to, to animate our, our efforts. But for all sellers, pretty much these days, there is this purpose that you talked about. It is, yeah, we're sort of a leading edge indicator, not a lagging indicator, leading edge indicator of economic activity is we we can help people, like help our customers get back on their feet. That's right. And I think that there's a number of value propositions right now that are probably more important. For some of our clients, survival is the value proposition now. So how mm-hmm. can you help me survive? Can you help me control my costs? Can you help me find profit? Can you help me generate more revenue? Uh, can you help me with the strategic outcomes that are going to allow me to survive? So that's one of them. And then the second one is, you know, I think a lot of people want to get their business back to where it was and they want to make up this time that they lost. And I, I know that they're looking for ideas about how do we recover faster? How do we get back what we lost or try to? And I think, you know, if you're paying attention to the stock market, which has been uh, one day up, the next day down, um, there's been no guidance given beyond this quarter. So the first quarter uh, guidance, but then second quarter, there's no guidance. And everybody said, we're giving up guidance for the rest of the year. But that doesn't mean that they don't want to recover their business. They don't want to recapture the revenue and that they're not concerned about their stock price and investors and all those other things. So I think that the value proposition there is going to be strong for many of us to say, we can help you recover and start getting you back where you were before this thing happened. 
as fast as as humanly possible. And that's what a lot of business owners are going to want to hear. Especially because they also are having that same conversation about how they engage with their customers. This is like a back-to-back conversation, right? To your point about about the compassion is, is yeah, I, I understand how this how this feels. We're we're feeling it too, but you have to go do the same thing to your customers. So we're part of a chain here, right? And that, and that chain is the economy. I think there's three reactions. You know, all um, reptile brain uh, driven. Uh, the first one is to decide to freeze. And a lot of people, when they get this level of stress and anxiety with this kind of a disruption, the first thing that they want to do is just freeze in place and don't make any decisions that might make it worse in the future. And when I don't know what the future looks like, every decision feels scary to me. So that's one group of people that you have to help with their concerns because the worst thing that many of them could do would be to freeze. I mean, you have to start taking action on your own behalf. Uh, the second thing is some people take flight. I mean, they they just try to get away as far away from mm-hmm. the problem as they can because it's so hard to make sense of. And of all the recessions I've been through, this is the hardest one to make sense of. Absolutely. Because we haven't had one that was started by a global pandemic. So this is a variable that we're not used to. Normally, we have a couple bad quarters and then we figure it out and we work the way, our way back through. But this isn't going to be true in this particular one. Yeah, not a then, predictable business cycle. Yeah, this is not predictable. And and, uh, and Taleb, who wrote The Black Swan, would say it was completely predictable because he sure. did. But for most of us, it wasn't predictable and certainly not the implications uh, that we're experiencing now. And the last group of people tend to be fighters. And when they get um, challenged by something like this, they just get very, very aggressive and start taking massive actions on their own behalf. And I think you just have to be aware that you're going to run into different kinds of people that are in a different place. And if you want to help them and serve them, then you have to pick them up where they are right now. They they may not have already understood and accepted that this is happening. They might still be denying it or wishing it was going to go away. But ultimately, you pick them up where they are and you serve them the best that you can based on where they are you know, psychologically, emotionally, and financially. Yeah, and I think that's a great frame to talk about it, is you have to be in the same time frame as, right. as the buyer. And, and I think that's a great way to look at it is, I forget whose book I read that in, but, but yeah, it's a great mindset, right? Where are you in time? Not everybody's in the same time. Not everybody's synced up. You need to understand where the buyer is at that point. That's exactly right. And they're going to be all over the place for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, my comment about predictability was really not that we couldn't predict this was going to happen. I agree. With you. I think we, given the lack of attention we paid to these things, is fairly predictable. There's been a, a pandemic. But the predictable predictability compared to a business cycle, yeah, you'd give certain stimulus. You have a fairly good sense that, yeah, it's going to end in a certain period of time. We're here. It's not so quite so clear. I think it's clear that without uh, a therapeutic and without a vaccine, it goes on for longer than we want it to. And having impact on business. Yeah. As long as it's doing that. Yeah. For some period. Yeah. 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 Interesting. We just had a conversation with, um, sort of chief data scientist at, uh, ring DNA, who's our, our sponsor here. And, um, yeah, they collect data from millions of phone calls and they found that, uh, call connection rates, with buyers are actually up during this this COVID period in the work from home, and uh, I thought that was sort of an interesting thing. Is that 
it's like, well, obviously we're just hypothesizing about why that may be the case, but yeah, maybe, and this is true at all levels of titles, actually, that they did this, you know, C-level, VPs, director, so on. It's like, now's a good time to connect because people want to talk. Well, it's, it's probably multifactorial. I mean, and normally it is when you hear some insight like that, but my guess is I'm at home and I might have a different kind of calendar than I had if I was in an actual office, number one. And number two, I might be interested in hearing your perspective and learning about what I might be able to do to recover faster and bring my business back and to understand what other choices people are making. And I think that most really, really good executive leaders that I know are curious about what they don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they know that they know that there's a part of the information that's available that they know that they don't know. So they, they're looking for this. Where, where am I going to find perspective? Where am I going to find some resource that could help me through this? And they're searching. So I think that that would make sense to me that they're going to engage with more salespeople because they might be able to find the help that they need. And isn't that just true for us in good times and in bad? You know, when they, they start looking for help, they're looking for somebody that's got the ideas that are valuable to them. And we have them most of the time. This one's a little trickier, but I think when you just think about how do you help people recover, that that answers the question for you. As soon as you have a good theory about that, you got a reason to call. Right. And on top of that, as to the point you'd made before, rather than being paralyzed and sitting on your hands, is actually, even if the customer's time frame is not immediate, if they're already looking for answers for when they're ready to move, if you're making that connection, if you're building that connection, building your credibility, it's another reason to make sure you're calling. I've been telling people that I think that you make the call now, you engage in the early conversation, recognizing that it may be weeks or months before your prospective client or your client can take action. And it's simply just because there's still a lot of of things that they have to work out. You know, their business is struggling or their business is losing revenue and they've got people furloughed or laid off or buildings closed and you still want to go and be proactive and be the one that helps them think about their future, even if it's a few months before that opportunity shows up for you. I mean, and that's true in good times and bad too. Like you're always calling on your dream clients. You're always trying to take them away from your competitor. And this is a time where you can have a, the same sort of view. It might be a while, but it's still the right thing to do because the right thing to do is always the right thing to do. It's always the right thing to do. And to not do it is, is sort of to engage in a form of, of market timing, if you will, draw that analogy to investing, right? You can't well, predict market how, how the market timing has been uh, very prevalent with uh, email marketers. Like they've taken total advantage of this. And I, I don't know how many more uh, coronavirus resources I need. <laughs> do you think we're coronaed out? <laughs> I think so. I am. I can promise you I am. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that, that uh, yeah, probably after the first few weeks, people are probably pretty coroned out. It's like, yeah, if you had had a field sales team, you had to transition pretty quickly, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, if you're still sitting here two months into it and wondering how you're going to transition your field team to inside, you've got bigger problems. And if you have an inside team and they're in a bullpen together, you have another problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you you you're sort of a heads I win, tails you lose. Yeah, well, it's been an interesting transition for you know companies that are taking their bullpen because yeah, you know, the hardest thing I think for 
people sort of underestimate how oftentimes how much energy and knowledge and insight you know the team shares, especially in a, a high growth company and a lot of excitement, and then suddenly you disperse people. It's a big challenge for managers to sort of maintain that that sense of togetherness, that spirit, the the camaraderie, the exchange of ideas using Slack or whatever, even no matter how what good of tools you have. I don't think there's any substitute for that. I, I've thought this for a long time. What a disservice we do when we take salespeople and they've never been around other salespeople, especially really good salespeople, and they've not been around people that have really good language and the depth of understanding to have really powerful client conversations, and we put them at home by themselves. And I, I've always been concerned about that because one of the the things that allows a salesperson to get better faster is just being around other really good salespeople and listening mm-hmm. to them have client conversations. And they pick up the language and they pick up the concepts and they see it modeled for them. And so when they can see it work, they can pick it up. And I, I worry about the next generation. I don't know what age group that is right now, but if they are, let's call it, the, they live in the post-corona world or something like that. And they don't have a chance to be in a bullpen and sit around senior salespeople that have really good chops and a depth of understanding, they're being deprived of that early on. And my experience is if you get that early on, you end up being a really good salesperson because you got it very early and uh, it's harder to pick up on your own. I mean, you can do a lot of reading and a lot of listening to things like this and uh, you can study, but some of it just transfers by sitting next to somebody and, um, I'm sorry about talking about transmission sitting next to somebody. It's sort of a, <laughs> the wrong way to describe that right now, Andy. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, why, that's why people are working at home. I th- I, somebody had asked me about this, you know, and I disagree entirely that this is the new normal. I think people are going to be <laughs> anxious to get back together for the very reasons you talked about. I mean, in sales, being in the bullpen, uh, yeah, that's way more fun than working on your own. Way more fun. I I, I re- reject the idea that this is a new normal. It's a it's a temporary normal. Um, th- there's no doubt that we have months, maybe eighteen months, something like that. But we are going to get back together and hold people's hands and and uh, hug people and show up at big events where there's a thousand or more people. We're going to do those things. It's going to be a little while, but we'll get back to that. We yeah. we never go backwards as a species. Like uh, no. we, we figured out and, you know, I, I have a, a lot of people I know who are conspiracy theorists about vaccines and things like that. And I have to remind them, like, you've got 18 vaccines. Why do you think you didn't get the mumps or the measles or polio or tuberculosis? Like we, we solve these and we'll solve this one too. Yeah. Well, speaking as a person whose oldest brother uh, was one of the last cohorts to contract polio. Um, yeah. Yeah, vaccines. Vaccines are very important. Yeah, uh, we'll get there. Yeah. Well, so the show, you know, we talk about sales enablement, which, which I think is to a point you were just making is is much about self enablement in many respects. You know, in terms of what I'm prepared to do to extend my my expiration date as a seller. Some of which you know comes from being in a bullpen with people and exchanging ideas and insights and so on, but also things I can can do on my own. So, And this is not about, hey, this is what you should be doing during the shutdown question. It's like, just in general, in your mind, what, what's, what's missing in the equation in terms of what individuals should be doing? We'll start with individual contributors to enable themselves to sell. 
I wrote, I've, I've written three books and you've been nice enough to have me on this every time I've written a book. I'm writing another book. I'm not, I'm not pitching that yet, Andy, but mm-hmm. soon. Um, the first book I wrote was called The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need. And a, a terribly unfortunate title for a guy with a three-book deal. I think I, I, think I gave you a hard time about that. I think you did. <laughs> and I appreciated it because it's funny. But the uh, that, that book was about how do you become somebody who people want to buy from? And, and that's the first question that a salesperson should ask themselves. And it's very hard for a new salesperson that doesn't have the right mindset early on to recognize that your sales results are individual. And the reason that we have a top 20% and a bottom 80% is because some people are better at it than other people. And a lot of it is because of the type of person they are and their character traits mm-hmm. and their discipline and their attitude and their ability to communicate certain things in certain ways and the ability to hold themselves accountable uh, more than their client will hold them accountable. But when you start to see that and you recognize when people say, well, I lost this deal because my price was higher than my competitor. And you're like, yeah, well, the top five guys on your team has the same pricing structure that you has. So, or you have, and then they say, well, it's my manager, my ma- well, you have the same manager that that guy has. Why is he doing so much better? And it's really incumbent upon you if you want to be great at anything, not just sales, but to take a good look and assess yourself and say, Am I doing the things that I need to do? Am I becoming the kind of person that people are going to want to buy from because I'm high insight, high business acumen, I'm disciplined, I'm credible, I'm reliable, I'm trustworthy, I have a sense of intimacy where I understand your business and what it is that you need well enough that I can make uh, good um, decisions on your behalf or to give you the advice and the counsel that you need to make those decisions so I, I think it starts with you have to dis- develop yourself as a human being in addition to figuring out what the sales skills are that you need to be successful in that role. But I would put the character traits in what I called mindset at the beginning, mm-hmm. because if you get that part right, it's a lot easier to begin with. Yeah, I think that a lot of sellers just don't understand that the first question they have to answer for the buyer is, why you? Right. And to your point, it's why you, not why your company, why you? And it speaks to everything you talk about, you know, character values, uh, acumen, you know, all the things that you can bring to help them make the decision why they want to buy from you. And I can tell how, how um, successful a salesperson is going to be early on by how they answer those kinds of questions about, well, why did I lose? My manager didn't give me the help. Uh, my pricing was wrong. My competitor did this thing. And it's always external. And then the people who grow really fast are the people who say, if I could do that over again, I recognize this and I wouldn't do it this way. I would do this completely different. I should have should have done this differently. And then because they're willing to look at themselves and evaluate the decisions that they made, they can make new choices in the future. But if you believe it's external, then you don't believe that you have any fault in your loss, but you will certainly be willing to take credit for your wins, and you can't get better that way. No, you're in a dead end at that point. So you lack the intellectual humility to acknowledge the fact there's still things you can learn. Right. And, and thankfully, I have a lot to be uh, humble about when it comes in that regard. <laughs> it, it's hard to know a lot of things. So you, you have to work really hard, and it takes time and experience. 
And that's the part that I think for, for people, if they want to get better at it, start with yourself. Yeah. But and this interesting question is because, yeah, here just recently I was talking to someone saying, yeah, about the time and experience, but but it can't all just be time and experience, right? You, you also have to invest. I mean, I know you're an avid reader. You got to read. You got to, you know, you actually have to educate yourself beyond just experience. I sent an email out this morning about uh, a course that I delivered, and I was um, just reflecting on what I read early on. And the first thing I read that I changed immediately after reading it was spin selling. And the only part that mattered to me in that book was getting an advance, the commitment to move forward. Mm -hmm. Immediately after reading that, selling slowed down for me. I mean, I could, I could see what was going on in front of me because I knew I was trying to get a commitment and I knew what that next commitment had to be. And then I read Major Account Sales Strategy, also by Rackham, and a better book and a more important book than Spin Selling, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, immediately, uh, I don't know if I paid $22 for that book and it takes four hours to read. It's not a very big book. But I immediately started winning multi-year, multi-million dollar deals after reading that book. And it was because I just took action on what I read in that book. And then uh, Mahan Khalsa, uh, let's get real or let's not play. I know you know right. that, that word. Right. After I read that, I realized you can actually be candid and just deal with whatever the client puts in front of you in real time without any fear or any concern about the repercussions. You can just go ahead and engage in it right then and there and have the conversation it was completely liberating to read that book and to decide, well, I know what they're concerned about. So why don't I just try to address that concern from them and instead of, of trying to find some way around it? Why not just go straight through it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my results got better immediately. And the, the reading books, the taking courses, the listening to a podcast like this, you get one insight here. That one insight can change your life and it can change uh, your income and it can change the, your level of success as a salesperson, but you have to be willing to manage yourself first and say, there's a lot for me to still learn and then become a lifelong learner. Right. Well, I, I love the quote. I'm sure you've heard from Benjamin Franklin, you know, experience is a dear teacher, but a fool will only learn. Well, only a fool learns. Uh, <laughs> gosh, I, I'm, I'm blowing my own quote here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back to I, it. I get the sentiment, though. Oh, only a fool will learn from no other. That's right. That's what, geez, Louise. Experience is a dear teacher. Only a fool will learn from no other. Meaning, and the, yeah. and the great thing about that is, in its sales, you get to see everybody else's mistakes, and you get to talk to them about it if you're willing to. And if you're bold enough to say, this is how I lost that deal, then you, you don't have to lose it the next time. And if if somebody loses and they tell you this is how I lost, then you've got a hint as to what you can do different. But you should constantly be working on how do I get better. Yeah, I mean, I remember early days when I was in the field listening to tapes, right? Zig Ziglar tapes and and uh, reading Tom Hopkins' book when it first came out, Mastering the Art of Selling, and all those things that yeah you know, supplemented everything you'd learned uh, experience basis. And I, I thought the two great teachers, you know, for me is yeah reading. And my customers. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I felt like my customers taught me how to sell as much as anything else. I, mean, I have very distinct memories of three or four or five deals early in my career where the customer just laid it out for me. 
Oh, I've, I've not only had that, I've also had them teach me their business and, and help me understand how I was supposed to create value for them. They're great teachers. So I, I got a, sort of a wild question for you, because uh, this is one of, topic I've been thinking a lot about recently is, is you know, we, we spend so much time and effort working with salespeople, but comparatively, managers get sort of short shrift when it comes to training Uh I interviewed a guest last week saying that on average, a manager, and this is not specific to sales, but receives their first training at age 42. Wow. <laughs> uh, this is a guy named Peter Economy who's written a book. He's a writer for Inc. Magazine and has written a book on first-time managers. Think about that. So I just, part of me think is, okay, we spend all this effort sort of talking about sales and sellers, but we still have this problem, I believe, that we... We don't really know how to coach performance, right? Like a, I know you're a, a big football fan. Um, yeah, I'm a big soccer fan. I like football too. But I mean, I think you know the coaching staffs have changed so much in the last 15, 20 years. Where there's much more emphasis on how do we help these individuals get better, right? You know, nutrition, performance, uh, fitness, uh, skills. We've got specialized coaches that help all that. And yet, we're still sort of structured in the way we manage sales in the way we we're for the last hundred years. I mean, our, what if I just part of me is thinking is like, huh? What if we stopped training salespeople, just focused on training the managers? We'd get a lot better faster. Seems like it, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, but you have to remember the starting point of that conversation is uh, almost every sales manager has a a battlefield promotion, right? Yes. This, this person left. Guess what? You're next up. Yeah. And and all they know is what they learned from their managers before. And that manager didn't have a great manager that had been trained before that. And so all they know is, I mean, I'm going to be hyperbolic here. It's not all they know, but a lot of it is more activity is better. Mm -hmm. And I can't help you with your effectiveness when you speak to coaching. I can't help you with the effectiveness because nobody ever really spent a lot of time helping me be effective. So I'll just ask you to do more. And some people will rise and, and do well, and that's great. And then other people won't. And the sales manager is not prepared to give them the type of coaching that they need uh, to do that. And so my next book is a leadership book. And uh, there's a coaching framework to it because you do have to have every player on your team give you their best performance. And if you don't know how to coach them and you don't care about them individually and you don't recognize that your job as a leader is to make each person capable of giving you their very best performance and holding them accountable to that, then you're, you're leaving a lot of results, you know, uh, on the cutting room floor. I mean, you're just not going to get it from them if you can't do that. Uh, I think if you want to find the root cause of most challenges, and I'll, I'll share this with you. I had a, a person who called me two weeks ago and said, my sales force is terrible. I just got here and I picked them up and they haven't been trained. And I said, well, that's not why they're terrible. <laughs> yeah. And and she said, why are they terrible? And I said, because their manager didn't hold them accountable for being better. The manager didn't account hold them accountable for doing the right thing day to day. And, and they did what was expected of them, which was not much. And that's why they're waiting for RFPs and mm-hmm. believing that an RFP is an actual opportunity. And so you can't blame them. They were poorly led. So if they're poorly led, it's not their fault. You got to give them a better leader. Exactly. But in addition to the leadership, though, I mean, one of my big issues is, to the point I was making before, is that why do we still expect, though, that 
this VP of sales or CRO or sales director or whatever, that there'd be this master of all trades, right? So, or jack of all trades, you know, that they're an effective performance coach, that, you know, they're a motivator, that they're, you know, a good manager, that, you know, they're a laundry list of things that we expect them to be, where when you look at other performance activities like sports, they have very specialized coaches for each of those functions. It's because we hired them and put them in a role of leader. And just like we do with sales, we assume that they know what that means and what they're supposed to do, even though they don't. Well, who's not making the case for, this is my second part of that question. So where are we failing? Why aren't CEOs recognizing that, yeah, we're just sort of getting by in sales. Yeah, we're maybe hitting our targets. But have we really treated this like a performance sport? Maybe we get better performance across the board. We could grow even faster. Of course we can. And, and and it is an individual sport in a lot of ways. I know that there's a lot of team selling now, and that's really important, but the team's made up of individuals. And the better the individual is, the better their performance is. And I I struggle with this specifically because my view of this, Andy, is that uh, they don't know how to improve their performance. They've not right. been trained to be a performance improvement person. They're a manager. So I'm responsible for making sure that the pipeline is updated, that our forecast is right, and uh, 7,400 other things that don't have anything to do with the individual's performance. And when I say, you know, these three people didn't make their goal uh, because they didn't do this thing or that thing, the manager and the leader are still responsible for that. So there's no way out of it except for they have to become people, I mean, if you want the best performance. Uh, Andy, I don't know what sports you played or if you played any when you were soccer. young. I think you soccer. Well, I played lots. I played lots, but my passion is soccer now. I mean, the sport so I follow. Yeah. The the best coach or teacher you had when you were playing soccer did not come to you and say, "Andy, I've recognized that you're a mediocre talent, and sure. uh, I'm not willing to invest any time or energy into you because you'll never be good at anything." And I'll leave you alone if you leave me alone, and we'll just both try to stay out of trouble. How's that sound? Well, that's my, that's my first sales training class. That was the evaluation. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. trying to be hyperbolic, but it turns but out I, I was I, just telling a story I, that you already know. Yeah, but I kid the, you not. They, they thought I should, they should fire me after my first sales training class. I was too analytical to be a salesperson. <laughs> yeah. Well, that might have been true in 1970 or something. But Easy uh, now. Easy now. Well, yeah. The, <laughs> certainly being... Uh, Let's say having a good cognitive intelligence is helpful now, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, as sales has gotten harder. The best leader you ever have is the one that sees something in you that you don't see in you and then tells you that they expect more from you and that you have to live up to your potential. And it makes you uncomfortable and it makes you angry and it makes you upset and unhappy. But then later on, you're like, that's the best leader I ever had because Mm -hmm. they actually looked inside and saw something in me that I couldn't see and then helped me activate that to become something that I am now that I wouldn't have been without them. Isn't that always true? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I tell the story of when I was uh, first getting into this business you and I are in that that, uh, I wanted to hire a public speaking coach. And I talked to a number and narrowed it down to two and and chose this one, uh, Patricia Fripp, who's a well-known coach uh, for speakers. And uh, the other person that I was the finalist asked, well, why'd you choose Patricia? And I said, because she scared me. (laughs) Yeah, right. And You're going to expect more. You're going to expect more. It's going to be hard. Um, So, 
yeah, you got to walk toward that, not away from it. Yeah. The more uncomfortable you are, the more you're growing. Pretty much true all the time. Yeah. All right. So last question for you is, is and we've touched on this a little bit, but been asking a number of people is, is um, actually, there's it's a series of questions. So the first one is, what do you think sales will look like in two or three years? What What's the next normal? So the long arc is trending in one direction, and it's been trending in this direction for as long as you and I have been playing this game, Andy, and that is uh, greater value creation. So you have to be more consultative. You have to have deeper insight. You've got to have much greater accountability. And you're going to have to look and sound like somebody who belongs on my team. So I think the more transactional you are, and the more that you believe that your product is what people are trying to buy or your service or your solution or whatever it is, the harder it's going to be to sell. And the more that you understand that you're supposed to help people get better outcomes and you focus on strategic outcomes, the better you're going to do. But I think it's just going in that direction without any chance of turning around, specifically because if all you can do is the same thing that an Amazon page does, I can just go to Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you and I have talked about this in the past, and another conversation we could have is about the requirement for business acumen in sellers. Right. Um, which you know, companies don't teach. You expect people to sort of learn this on their own. But yeah, I think this this sort of I call it financial illiteracy, business illiteracy we have among sellers is is a major problem. I'm trying to cure it by telling them to just pay for a subscription to Sirius XM and when you get up in the morning just watch or listen to Squawk Box. I mean, just listen to CEOs <laughs> talking about their business. Right. Listen to them talk about what investors expect from them. Listen to them talk about what they think the economy is going to do and why and how they're making projections and decisions. You can get a world-class MBA-type education from just listening to CNBC. And there will be some politics there, which I try to avoid, but they won't be like a Fox News or an MSNBC or a CNN kind of politics. It'll just be about what's the repercussions of the PPP legislation that's going to mm-hmm. give small business people money and how much money and, and what do you expect to happen when people get this money. And, and that's all very, very useful, practical, tactical stuff that's going on in real time if you're willing to pay attention to it. Yeah, and I... I think that's a great suggestion. I, I tell people, subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. That's how I learned when I first started. My dad, you know, one piece of advice when I started my career is subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. I'm still uh, a subscriber now. You still am today, yeah, decades later. I read it online now, but but nonetheless, right? It's it's You learn so much just going through that about what's happening in business. And you know, if you're in sales and you don't know how to read a financial statement, you, know, you can't read a profit and loss can't read a business a balance sheet. You got to fix that. You can't understand who you're selling to if you don't understand how they make money. You can listen to just about any earnings call that you want to if you're listening to or, or selling to a, a publicly traded company. You right. can read their filings and understand what they think their risks are and what they think they need to do to succeed. You just have to be curious. That's the my my one sort of um, area where I'm I'm sort of disappointed with salespeople. It's like, you're not curious about it. If you were curious about it, you would understand that what's going on on CNBC Squawk Box in the morning is exactly the same thing that you watch on Game of Thrones, just without swords. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, that's, that's why I, 
encourage people is when you when you hear the term sales enablement, think about it and, and translate it into self-enablement, right? How am I enabling right. myself to achieve these things? That's right. All right. All right. Two last questions. Easy ones. Uh, what book would you are you reading right now? Oh, I'm reading uh, right now at this moment. I'm reading Umberto Eco's uh, War of the Rose. Oh, um, classic. Uh, a fiction book that I never read, but uh, I'm a fan of his thinking, and uh, I decided to read that. I just finished before that Wolf Hall. Oh, love that book, yeah. And uh, before that, The Splendid in the Vile by uh, Eric Larson on Churchill's first year as prime minister, right as that's Germany his, starts bombing them. That's his newest one, right? Yeah, wonderful yeah, okay. book for this time. Yeah, he's a great storyteller. I got to pick that one up. I just had read a, something about that. All right. Last question. What's the one habit you want to break? Hmm. What habit do I want to break? <laughs> I don't know if I have a habit I want to break right now. Maybe I just like my habits, Andy. I guess. And that's okay. I, I've given up so many things. Like, uh, I, I don't look at social media on my phone. You know, I've, I've, I've gotten rid of so many things that I thought were detrimental to my focus. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the one. I have one. All right. It took me a minute to get to it. Um, I write a blog post every single day. That's not a habit that I want to break. But I do better when I have the content plan designed a week ahead of time than when I wake up and start writing. Uh, I'm more efficient and more intentional if I spend time Saturday. So occasionally I miss Saturdays on putting a plan together. And then the rest of my week doesn't feel good. So I need to break that habit of missing uh, the time that I need to put a content plan together. Well, it's a good thing the Ohio State University is not playing football right now. So you have Saturdays free. <laughs> my Saturday might be free. But look, I'm telling you, if, if we don't have football, we riot. <laughs> this is important. I guess. I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm not as, as hard, on, hard up about football, but... Uh, yeah, soccer. The real football. Yeah. The game, you know, they actually play with their feet. Right. <laughs> that one, that one, yeah, I went into serious withdrawal when they stopped playing and very anxious for it to come back. I'm anxious for everything to come back. Me too. I yeah. want to go to a place where they will bring me a steak and then oh, come and pick the plate up and take it away from me. Yeah, I had that vision yesterday, but it was a, it was a big hamburger. But yeah, same thing. So Same thing. Yeah. All right, Anthony, as always, fabulous to talk with you. Um, how can people connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? Best place to find me is thesalesblog.com and to sign up for the Sunday newsletter. That's my best work every week. Yeah. Yeah. Read your blog too. I mean, he's, he's, he's been writing. You've written how many blog posts now? 4,000. 4,000. Think about that. 4,000. Yeah. If you want a good source of incredibly well thought out, reasonable, reasoned, well-reasoned, rational uh, advice about sales and success in sales, then check out Anthony's blog. All right, Anthony, thank you. We'll look forward to doing this again soon. Good to hear your voice, Andy. Likewise. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so very grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Anthony Yannarino for sharing his story with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review, let us know how we're doing 
we'd really appreciate it. Now you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time to join me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.